Hi, pizza. Okay, our cat pizza loves the recording studio. Maybe he wants his own podcast. I can get on board with that. What we can't be okay with is a stinky litter box. Fortunately, we have our cats and not the smell of the litter box, too, with Pretty Litter. It's litter, reinvented. Made with fancy, super light crystals, Pretty Litter is easy to lift, gives off virtually no dust, and provides dry, low-maintenance litter without the smell for up to a whole month. And Pretty Litter also monitors our cat's health by changing colors if it detects a potential underlying issue. So in some ways, Pretty Litter knows our cats better than we do, and we know them pretty well. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code MYTHS for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code MYTHS for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code MYTHS. This week on Myths and Legends, it's two stories from Ireland. On the first, you'll see that if you're running your mouth about how you're the strongest person in the world, you'll want to make sure there aren't actual giants in the land. On the second, we'll learn that one tricky way to get a leprechaun to give you is gold. Threats of physical violence. The creature this week is the Wishhound, who is less about granting wishes and more about pursuing you to your death. This is Myths and Legends, episode 231, Challenge Accepted. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, there are two stories from Irish folklore. On the first, we meet a giant whose mouth has been writing anachronistic checks that his admittedly impressive biceps can't cash. The second is about a man who meets a leprechaun. Of note, the first one deals with Finn McCool, who we've talked about, but this story sits outside his larger continuity, and it's really just a folktale about a giant battle, so you don't need to have heard the previous Finn episodes. Finn McCool didn't skip leg day, or chest day, or back day. You see, When we last left Finn, he was a child. He had survived attempts on his life and made peace with those hunting him. Then, he apparently hit a growth spurt. Cue a Rocky-style montage, but like Rocky IV, where he's piling wood, chopping down trees, and crawling around on the ground hauling his trainer on a sled, because this was like the 3rd or 4th century. Finn McCool got big. He now stood about 8 feet tall with rippling muscles. He made some friends, too. He and his father's band of warriors, the Fianna, were hard at work building the Giant's Causeway, an actual landmark in Northern Ireland that is not 40,000 basalt columns formed by ancient volcanic activity, but a bridge to Scotland built by a giant so Finn wouldn't get his feet wet. Finn, though, missed his wife, Una. They had only been married for a few months when Finn and his men had the idea for the causeway. Finn lived about 75 miles south of the coast, on Knockmany Hill. One morning, the men saw the sails. It was a Scottish ship. Finn waved and welcomed them to Ireland. Pretty soon they wouldn't have to ride a boat here, but they would be able to laboriously walk, which was better. The Scottish men nodded. Hey, so you know the common phrase, don't pummel the messenger to a fine paste on your new bridge when they deliver news you find to be disagreeable? Finn nodded. 
he was familiar with that succinct and very relatable phrase. The messenger said that was good. He looked off into the distance and called up the message from memory. Finn McCool, more like Finn Uncool. My name is Ben Adonner and I'm coming for you, Finn. Think you're the strongest guy in the British Isles? Think again, because I am. By the time you receive this message, I'm already on my way, you little punk. I'm going to humiliate you, and then I'm going to kill you. Get ready. Okay, uh, did you get all that? Oh, don't say this part, though, just all the other stuff, the messenger said. Finn gave a smirk and a feigned expression that definitely wasn't inward screaming. He said, Benadonner, Benadonner. Name didn't ring any bells, but he was happy to take any challengers to his title of strongest guy in the British Isles. He paused for a moment then turned to the foreman for the causeway job. Unrelated, he was taking those PTO days they had discussed. The foreman said that they never discussed any days off. They were on a tight schedule. They were all away from their families here. Finn said that they discussed it last month and he wanted to put it in writing. He fished through his pack, pulling out a slip of paper. Oh, rats, he forgot to put the notice in. The foreman furrowed his brow. This was third century Ireland. Where did he get paper? But he was the boss, so sure, he could take the time off. Though, was he sure this wasn't related to Ben Adonner, famed Scottish giant strongman? Because it kind of seemed like it was. (laughs) Finn laughed. Nonsense! He wasn't mortally terrified. The foreman said that he didn't say Finn was. Finn said good, because he wasn't. Now, if, what was that little scamp's name? Ben Adonner? If he arrived here, just direct him to Finn's house in the west of Ireland. Isn't your house famously on Knockmany Hill? The foreman corrected. You built it so high and removed so as to keep a lookout for Ben Adonner. Thank you, Finn said, smiling nervously at the Scottish messenger. He explained that he recently moved. Like, five years ago? The foreman corrected. You're so helpful, Finn said, before yanking a fir tree from the ground, stripping it of its leaves and branches to make a walking stick, and not at all frantically and awkwardly speed walking away from the giant's causeway, off toward Knockmany Hill. I'm gonna die, Finn said, laying in the lap of Una, his wife, as she stroked his hair. Benadonner is going to kill me. That guy's had it out for me for years. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that someone could have seen this coming, Una said, but you have been signing your autographs. Finn McCool, the strongest guy in the British Isles, and yes, that includes Benadonner. And you've been selling shirts that say, Benadonner, come at me, bro. Signed, the much stronger Finn McCool. Finn nodded, yeah, shouldn't have gone in on so many of those. Managing all your own stock was kind of a headache. Not the takeaway here, Una said. Was Benadonner stronger than him? Probably, yeah. Could he tear through a tunic by flexing, leaving everyone basking in the magnificence of his legendary pecs? Of course. Could you get hopelessly lost for hours in his eyes? Yeah, okay, Finn said, cutting her off. What was her point here? Una said that her point was that Finn couldn't go toe-to-toe with this guy. The guy could actually catch a lightning bolt out of the air. He had done it. He smashed it flat like a pancake, 
and kept it in his pocket as a reminder that he could do exactly that. When he became angry and stomped his feet, he could level a whole town. And that's not only because most homes are like mud and thatch in this time period and remarkably easy to knock down. He was stronger than Finn. He would kill Finn. Finn nodded. Wow, what confidence. He stuck his thumb in his mouth. If you remember, Finn cooked the salmon of knowledge and got all the knowledge in the world. In the story, when he sucked on his thumb, the part of his body that touched the fish, he could draw on that knowledge. He saw a vision of Ben Adoner making his way through the Irish countryside. He shrieked. The guy would be here in no time. He would make it to their house by tomorrow at 2 p.m. There wasn't even time to run. When Finn stuck his thumb in his mouth, though, his wife's face lit up, and she went to the fireplace. She piled on wood that would smoke. She needed a signal. Finn was roused from his self-pity by three long whistles. Una was outside, giving a customary greeting, a sign to strangers and travelers that they were welcome to come to the home and enjoy hospitality. Finn exploded out the door. What was she doing? Una smiled. She was inviting Benadoner in. He said it himself. It was inevitable. And if he wanted to live, he needed to listen to her. The ground shuddered. The people screamed in a far-off village. Dust drifted down from the rafters of Finn and Una's home. Ben and Donner was here. Hello? His voice boomed outside. Is this where the great Finn McCua lives? And I don't know if you could tell from my tone, but great was in quotations, meaning not great. Una emerged with a smile and wiped her hands on her apron. Why, yes it was. And who was this strapping young man? Ben and Donner smiled. He said she must be Finn McCall's wife. Una nodded, yes. Was everything okay with her husband? She hoped she didn't have a reason to be worried. Ben and Donner's shoulders slumped. Oh, so wait, was he home? Una shook her head. She was afraid he wasn't. He heard that some man, some... Ben and Donner, was it? Was coming here to challenge him. But he couldn't wait to fight the man. So he took off north for the giant's causeway. Ben and Donner looked to the north, wondering how he didn't pass Finn on the way here. Oh well, looked like it was back north for him. He nodded to Una, thanking her for her help. And if he may be so bold, after he killed her husband, could he return here and take her out for dinner? Una laughed. What a charmer. She grabbed his arm. No need for him to leave. If he didn't see Finn on the road here, there was a chance they would just keep missing each other. Finn was fast. He could make the 75-mile trip in an hour or two on foot, so he would be back before nightfall. Ben and Donner should stay here and tell her stories of his exploits. Maybe do some flexing. Who knows? Ben and Donner shrugged. Sure, why not? Oh, one thing, though. Una said, as she invited Ben and Donner in. Please try to be quiet. She didn't want to wake the baby. Ben and Donner looked to the crib in the main room. Oh, he wasn't aware that Finn McQuall had children. Una went over to the crib 
and stroked the baby's hair. The baby, which definitely wasn't just Finn in an adult onesie, stirred in his sleep. Oh, goo-goo, goo-goo-gaga, the baby said. Wow, a deep voice for an infant, Ben and Donna remarked. Also kind of a lot of facial hair, Una smiled. Yep, he was one of those mythological babies that are born older and they grow up super fast. Apple of her eye. Just then, the door smacked in the wind. Una looked to the windows, which were open. Darn it. Finn forgot to turn the house back. Ben and Donner stood confused. Turn the house back. Una said, yeah, the wind was blowing from the west this morning, and Finn went outside and lifted up the house, turning it, so the wind would be coming in through the windows. Now the wind was coming in through the door. Since Finn wouldn't be back for a little while, and it was getting a little stuffy in here, would Ben and Donner mind lifting up the house and turning it so the wind would be coming in the windows again? She stood there. She could see Ben and Donner hesitating about picking up a house before his big fight. She said that it was okay if he couldn't do it. They would just wait until Finn got home. Her husband could do it then. Okay, okay, hold on, Ben and Donner said. He wasn't scared, he could do it, it just... Give him a minute, okay? Ben and Donner went outside. It just lifts up? You guys don't have a foundation or anything? Una said that they did. He lifts the foundation, too. Ben and Donner looked down. All right, okay. Here we go. He dug his hands into the ground and lifted. Or tried to. His veins bulged. His teeth gritted. His face turned red. And the house, it wasn't going anywhere. Ben and Donner let go and sat back, panting and sweating. You don't have to do it, really. We'll be fine until Finn gets back, Una called out. I can do it. It's not heavy. It's just awkward and I can't get a good grip. Can we, can you just give me a minute, please? Ben and Donner said with an eye roll. He looked furtively from side to side, turned, and cracked a knuckle three times. He spun back around, dug his hands down to the foundation, and lifted up the house without issue, turning it so the wind was coming in the window instead of the door. Una and her man-baby met eyes. She invited Ben and Donner back to the newly breezy house, sat him down, and asked if he'd like some water, and, ah, oh, rats. Ben and Donner asked, what's up? Una pointed down the hill to the wide, flat spot, the well. Finn was supposed to dig it, but he got so excited about turning Ben and Donner into, quote, paste, that he just rushed off. Ben and Donner stood and puffed out his chest. No worries. He would dig a well in no time. Where was it? We'll see Ben and Donner help finish Finn's chores, but that will be right after this. That, that's a rock, Ben and Donner said to Una when the pair made it down the hill. She shrugged, and? <laughs> and nothing, Ben and Donner said, smiling nervously. He turned, but she was able to see it this time. He cracked the knuckle on his middle finger nine times. Then, he went all Wreck-It Ralph on the rock, 
boring down with nothing but his fists until the well was a quarter mile wide and 400 feet deep. He hefted a bucket of cool, fresh water out of the hole. When they were back up at the house, Una took the water, thanking Ben and Donner profusely for it and set some bread down for him. Ben and Donner thanked her for the bread, put it in his mouth, and lost two of his teeth. In between shrieks and shouting, Ben and Donner demanded to know what was in this bread. Una said that the bread was a good source of iron. Because it was filled with actual iron, she said that it was the only bread Finn ate, and she thought a man who wanted to match him could handle it. She guessed that Finn and his son over there were the only ones who could manage it. Ben and Donner frowned and looked at the second loaf on the table. If Finn could do it, he could do it. He put the bread in his mouth and bit down as hard as he could. And he lost another two teeth. He was down about 10% now. And he was screaming. Una's hand flew over his mouth. What was he doing? He was going to wake the baby. Wah, mama, mama, wah, the baby cried. I'm hungry, mama. Una rolled her eyes at Ben and Donner. Thanks for that. She scooped up some bread off the table and took it to the baby. And Ben and Donner watched in horror as the baby devoured the loaf without incident. Of course, it was one that was baked without iron in the center. He rose and went to go inspect the baby. He bent down and put his hands on his knees. Hey there, buddy. Finn remembered that he was pretending to be a toddler and smiled sheepishly, asking the stranger if he was strong. Ben and Donner said that, yeah, he was strong. He was the strongest man in the British Isles. A fact that he was going to prove to the little guy's careless father by putting him in an early grave. He tousled the boy's hair, but Finn Jr. was undeterred. He pointed to a stone on the table. If he, Ben and Donner, was so strong, he should be able to squeeze that white stone until water ran from it. Finn and Una nodded to each other as they watched Ben and Donner crack the knuckle on his right middle finger 12 times, take the stone into his hand, and squeeze, then squeeze, then squeeze. Nothing, no water poured from it. Finn Jr. held out his hand. Gimme, Ben and Donner obliged, placing the stone in the toddler's hand. He didn't see the sleight of hand when Finn brought out a curd from his bassinet and tuck the stone away. Finn Jr. bit his lip, squeezed, and water poured down onto the floor. Finn shook his head in disappointment at Ben and Donner. It was a good thing Ben and Donner had missed his papa, and Ben and Donner better leave before his papa comes back. The fight would be over in two hits. Finn would hit him, and Ben and Donner would hit the ground. Oh, but what did Finn Jr. know? He was just a little baby. Finn said, took his blanket, and rolled over, sucking his thumb, away from the disappointment that was Ben and Donner. Ben and Donner agreed with the gruff, eight-foot-tall infant. If Finn's son could do feats that Ben and Donner couldn't, how much more could Finn do? He turned and told Una, thank you for the hospitality, but he would be going. He could admit that he was no match for Finn McCool. He wouldn't return to Ireland if he could help it, and he never wanted to hear of let alone see her husband for as long as he lived. He was big enough to admit that he was extremely frightened and shamed. Goodbye forever. Una said that he was making the right choice. 
If Finn was here, he would make hawk meat of the stranger. Bending down her Frodo's brow, he, he knew that's literally what he just said. Then he looked at the bread on the table, at the hunk of iron in the center. He glanced over at the boy in his bassinet, the one with crumbs in his beard. He paused. He said since he was never coming back here, he would really like to feel teeth that could cut through pure iron. Una smiled. Absolutely. She turned to Finn Jr. Mommy wanted this strange man to fish around in his mouth with his dirty fingers. Open wide, dear. She turned back to Ben and Donner. The teeth that could handle the bread were way back in there. They were still coming in. He really had to get his fingers a good way in. Ben and Donner stuck his fingers into Finn Jr.'s mouth and, well, he left them there. Oh yeah, I should have mentioned. He's a biter, our little Finny, Una said. Finn spat out the fingers and rose from the bassinet while Ben and Donner held his now fingerless hand, screaming. Finn laughed, revealing himself not as Finn Jr., but Finn McCool himself. He would take that fight now. Ben and Donner moved to crack the knuckle on his middle finger, the source of his power, but found that finger gone. He looked up in terror as the shadow of Finn McCool darkened the floor around him. Guys, guys, Ben said when he returned to the worksite. Who has two thumbs and killed Ben and Donner? The group was silent as they looked at their boss. You, you actually have three thumbs, the foreman said, pointing to his own beard. Y you have a thumb in your beard. No, your left. There you go, you got it. Finn said, yeah, it was an epic battle out on the moors, two titans clashing. You wouldn't be surprised if they could feel the earth shaking from here. He needed nothing but his brawn. His pure, unadulterated strength was what won the day. Y you sure about that, boss? The foreman asked. Finn scoffed. Yeah, he just won the fight of the century. Millennia. Was there something longer than millennia? Because it was that. Gilgamesh, eat your heart out. Y you sure you didn't, and this is just me spitballing here, lure him into a false sense of security dressed up as a baby, bite off his finger, the source of his power, much like your thumb is the source of your knowledge, and then easily pummel him to death while he was distracted by his bleeding hand? And since you're a jacked giant who solves most problems by punching them, I would imagine this plan came from your wife? Am I in the anachronistic ballpark here? Finn laughed. Wow, that was a stretch. What gave him that idea? The foreman said, well, the thumb in his beard for one. The other was, well, he was still dressed like a baby. Got on his giant onesie. Baby bonnet even had a butt flap. Finn's eyes widened. He was so eager to go tell the men, his own and Ben and Donner's, about the victory that he forgot to change. He chuckled nervously and then narrowed his eyes. Not a word. I won. It was an epic clash of titans. That's the story. The men nodded. Understood. And from that day forward, 
everyone stood in awe of the wit and intelligence of Una McCool. This story is a bit apocryphal because Finn does have a fairly famous wife who isn't Una, and this doesn't super fit into his legends as we've told them. But it's still a fun story and a cool twist on the epic giant battles we come across in folklore. Next up is the story of the leprechaun. But that will be, once again, right after this. Tom Fitzpatrick sat crouched, looking out into the field. There, among the wildflowers, a tiny, wizened man sipped from a jug that could hold a gallon and a half. He wiped his mouth on his leather apron, burped, and pulled a stool from somewhere. When he was comfortably sitting in the shade, he pulled a shoe from somewhere else and started fitting a heel piece. Tom, a human man, rubbed his hands together. Oh yeah, gonna get that money. For so long, he had never believed in leprechauns. Now, though, he was watching one with his own eyes. Speaking of eyes, he knew he couldn't take them off this creature or it could disappear. While the creature was being watched, he had to stay where he was. Tom practiced winking with one eye and then winking with the other so he didn't need to blink and emerged from the bushes. He registered a bit of panic on the leprechaun's face and then a smile. The little man nodded at Tom, who nodded back. You're working on a Sunday? Tom called out. That's my business, not yours, the leprechaun said with a smile. He took another drink. What you got in the jug there, little guy? Tom said, still not looking away from the leprechaun. A little patronizing, the leprechaun said, but he was being held there by the stranger's gaze, so he played along. Beer. It was beer. Ah, oh, nice, Tom replied. Then he stood there. He liked beer. Could he have a taste? Look, the leprechaun said, I'm just trying to enjoy my Sunday. You be better served not drinking with strangers in a field, but looking after your daddy's property. Your job. While you're here begging for a sip, the cows have broken out, and they're knocking their corn about. Tom Fitzpatrick gasped and almost turned his head. Da! He pointed at the leprechaun. Almost, huh? The leprechaun replied. When he saw Tom wasn't going to look away, the leprechaun straightened up. When he saw the look in Tom's eyes, Tom was done playing. He lunged for the leprechaun. And it was only because the legendarily elusive creature didn't want to spill his beer that Tom managed to grab him by the collar. The jug of beer still toppled over. Both men swore. Tom looked into the leprechaun's eyes and wrapped his other hand around the creature's neck. He asked the leprechaun if the leprechaun knew just how easy this would be, how effortless it would be for him to squeeze. He wondered aloud how strong the leprechaun's neck was or if it would be like snapping a twig. His thumb pressed in and the leprechaun laughed, throwing up his hands. You got me, you got me, all right. You win. Tom sneered. That's right, I do. All right. Where was it? He said. 
his left hand moving the apron around and going through the leprechaun's coat. You think I can hide a pot of gold on my person? Why would I do that? What would happen if I got caught? What leverage would I have? The leprechaun asked. The gold was a couple fields away. Buried. Tom nodded, holding the leprechaun out in front. Good. Show me. They walked for 10 or 20 minutes until they were at an abandoned old field. 40 acres overrun with ragweed. The leprechaun told Tom Fitzpatrick to walk so many paces this way and so many paces that way, and they probably walked twice as long as they did getting to the field, in circles at times, until they were standing over a big ragweed plant. This is it. This is the one. And I have your word? Tom asked. He knew the leprechaun had to honor his word. The leprechaun nodded. Tom had his word. A giant pot of gold was buried under this plant. Tom locked eyes with the leprechaun. A ribbon. Now. I don't have a ribbon, the leprechaun replied. Tom clenched his jaw. He wasn't messing around here. This could still go badly for the leprechaun. Would he swear that he didn't have a ribbon? The leprechaun grumbled, reaching into his coat and producing a ribbon from his pockets. Tom put the leprechaun down and tied a bow around the ragweed with a red ribbon. He still had the leprechaun in his sight. He said he didn't have a shovel, and he pointed to the creature. Swear. Swear he wouldn't touch the ribbon on that plant. The leprechaun raised a palm. He swore. He would not touch that ribbon. Please. Could he go? <laughs> Tom shrugged. The leprechaun could do whatever he wanted. Tom had the gold. He didn't care about the creature. Tom allowed himself to blink with both eyes for the first time in nearly an hour. In that instant, he was alone in the field. And then he swore, ah, should have demanded the shovel from the leprechaun. That would have been smart. He knew of a nearby farmer who let him borrow a shovel. He sprinted there because he didn't know how long the digging would take. And though they were just outside of town, he didn't want to be lugging a full pot of gold back along the roads after dark. As he sprinted back, he was already counting out the money in his head. Oh, he was going places. He would finally move out of his dad's house. He would buy a horse and a mansion and... He slowed. As he approached the field, he stood awestruck for a moment before throwing down the shovel and cursing the leprechaun. He left, muttering about everything he would do if he ever saw the creature again. The leprechaun, it turned out, had honored his word. He didn't touch the ribbon on the ragweed plant over his pot of gold. But Tom Fitzpatrick didn't say anything about the countless other ragweed plants over the 40 acres of the field when Tom saw acres and acres of red ribbons swaying back and forth. As far as the eye could see, he knew he had been outsmarted by the leprechaun. He returned home around dusk, where his father demanded to know where he had been the cows had gotten out, and they ate all the corn. Tom sighed and went to go chase down the livestock. That is it for this week. Next week, we're back in the story of Robin Hood, where we'll see the famous outlaw finally hit a losing streak by winning too much. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of Cheetos dress socks, 
dress socks that look like a Cheetos bag, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that, like Cheetos dress socks, are the perfect mix of classy and casual. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creatures this week are the Wishhounds from Great Britain. Now, if you think that Wishhounds sound like a fun My Little Pony, Care Bear-esque franchise where happy dogs help children achieve their dreams or something, well, its name means something different in translation. Wish, in this context, in that time, meant melancholy or spooky. Though, really, spooky hounds don't even do the Wishhounds justice because they are literally headless dogs led by the devil who will kill you. They are headless dogs that somehow also breathe fire. They either originate in hell, where I guess Satan owns a kennel, or they are the souls of the deceased, unbaptized children who are coming for their parents. Like I said, Wishhound really undersells it. I found in one place that they could also potentially be led by Sir Francis Drake. I was originally confused by why him, but then I found that he was a slave trader and participated in a massacre of the Irish. So I guess that does qualify you to be the ghostly specter cursed to lead hellhounds forever. The wish hounds are the most dangerous when met head on, probably because they are fire-breathing spectral hounds, but also likely take issue with the phrase head on. It's a sensitive phrase for a headless dog. If you happen to meet them on the road and aren't killed instantly, you should fall down prone and recite the Lord's Prayer until they pass by. You then have the good fortune of dying within a year. They are most active on Sunday night and will run until they come to a cliff, disappearing over the edge. It's said that anyone who chases the wishhounds will die. And it doesn't say this, but probably not from the wishhounds, but from following them off a cliff. That'll end tragically no matter who you're following. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Uh, let me get this straight. You actually had a high school science teacher named Mr. White? It was Dr. White. Oh. Yeah, he was a PhD. Did he run any, run any side businesses? Not that we were aware of. You, you haven't seen Breaking Bad, have you? No, I haven't. Okay, we, we'll talk later.